Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 819. I would now like to share some Nerdist Community Corkboard happenings on from people like you in the Nerdist Community. Uh, you can send your uh, event to events at Nerdist.com and Katie or Kyle will dr- pull it up and present it to you, the Nerdist audience, for your approval. Uh, this is from the Corkboard. Nerdist recently had another Inkshares book contest, and the winners are almost available to buy. The first book will be out, uh, or actually was out, August 2nd. It's, it's called It's All Fun and Games by Dave Barrett. It's a story about six high school friends who spend their weekends with their LARP group, but they soon realize that the fantasy world they imagine has transformed into something real. The second book will be available August 9th, which is my mom's birthday. You didn't need to know that, but wish her a happy birthday on the 9th at Nerdist Mom. Uh, that is Welcome to Deadland by Zachary Taylor Linville. It's kind of a coming-of-age tale set against the backdrop of the desolate land that was once Florida, but now devastated by a widespread disease-threatening mass extinction. Ugh. A little too real. Anyway, they'll be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and your favorite independent bookstores. Also, Chris Gomez writes... I work for a post-production sound company called Smart Post Sound. We help create the soundtracks for small shows you might have heard of like Better Call Saul, Modern Family, Supergirl, The Last Ship, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Recently, we decided to create a podcast called Smart Post Sound Smartcast. Gives listeners a unique behind-the-scenes look at the world of audio post-production. Uh, for anyone who's ever had any interest in sound or for film or television, this is the podcast for you. Each week, we have in-depth conversations with industry professionals on everything, where they get started, how they got their foot in the door, uh, to some of their sound mixing and editing techniques, tricks of the trade, and so forth. You can find the podcast by searching SmartCast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio. Thank you, Chris Gomez. Thank you, Nerdist Community Corkboard. Thank you, Katie and Kyle. Uh, this episode is Mr. Mike Birbiglia. Uh, a man who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, a comic guy, door writer, director, producer. He's a machine. His work ethic is unparalleled. Uh, and he's also super fucking funny. Uh, he is promoting his movie, Don't Think Twice. It is in theaters now in L.A. and New York. Soon will be expanding to the rest of the country. But uh, please support it. Please support it. You know, guys like Birbiglia go out. They make their own thing. 
You know, so, so many times people complain about, oh, the movies are too commercial and they're too this and there's too many reboots and they're too that. Hey, fine. If you feel that way, then you need to go out and fucking support people like Mike Birbiglia who are going out there and making shit on their own. Or you need to go out there and make shit on your own. So uh, go to a theater, support the art of film uh, and comedy. And, uh, and go watch Don't Think Twice. It's kind of about, well, he describes it in the show. It's kind of about an improv group that uh, some of them start to become successful, some of them don't. And it's just about the dynamic of the group. Uh, really funny. And uh, Mike is a ridiculously talented individual. And now, here's the Nerdist Podcast number 819 with Mr. Mike Birbiglia for Pete. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. Our guest, the Nerdist Podcast. You're just tuning in. Nerdist Podcast. Nerdist Podcast. You're just tuning in. Mike yeah. Birbiglia. Oh, yeah. Mr. Birbiglia. What number is this? Five? Four? This is probably four. Three or four. I remember when we did the three-peat. The three-peat. They, they came pretty close together. There's yeah. been a there's, there's so been this a is the four-peat or the five-peat. We, yeah. uh, we, we, we went to your hotel room once, yeah, I, know. I remember. We've seen it all. And that the hotel room was actually where I... And, and I said this when my last special came out. I, I credited you as sort of being the reason that I did the last special the way I did. Fun, comfortable. Yes, because of what Loved you it. said, which is where you say, you know, I go to a place where I'm uncomfortable and that's where I write from. And I thought, you know, I feel like I don't really do that. I just kind of write about other things and maybe I want to explore what makes me uncomfortable. And so that was that's how that whole special came about. Wow. So thanks. I love that special. Oh, thank you. That special is awesome. I appreciate that you say that. I appreciate that. That was, uh, you, you were, you know, you've always been very inspirational besides just being a funny human being, but also just the work ethic and the way to approach comedy. And, you know, I mean, there's a real... I think you kind of, when you're young, you have this idealized version of like, well, funny people are just funny. It's like, yeah, they are. Yeah. But there is also a craft to it that you need to work on. Which is a thing that you bring up uh, towards the end of uh, Don't Think Twice. Yeah. Uh, which is just like someone's, like the, like people start talking about the work, work ethic. Like it's, yeah. like, oh, you don't have... You don't have that work ethic because you never had it. And then uh, you don't have it, like stuff like that. Yeah, and you know what's a good example? This past weekend I did 28 – Ira Glass and I, my producer, don't think twice, and I did 28 Q&As in New York City at the Sunshine Theater. Oh, my God. And um, Well, because we really believe in the movie. It's a small movie, and it's like, well, we're going to stand behind it. We're going to do 28 Q&As. And Judd Apatow in Solidarity showed up, just a friend of the film, and uh, did four of them with us. Oh my God! Saturday afternoon, just popped in, did four of them. Was and a moderator. There's a stage. He's gonna find it. But it was. <laughs> but one of the things he he told a great story. He goes, I didn't realize it until now. You know, because the film, if you're if you're just tuning in uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the very uh, beginning, uh, yeah, at the, the randomizer on their podcast. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it's about a, a group of best friends in an improv group, and one of them sort of gets a chance to try out for an SNL type of show, and the rest of them don't. And it's about sort of what happens in friendships when that happens. And Judd told the story. Hopefully, it's okay that I'm telling this. Uh, he said, it's, "I this movie was my life. I lived with Sandler, and we were best friends in L.A. And uh, then he 
got he said hey i'm going to chicago i'm gonna audition for snl that's the worst sandler impression ever <laughs> i just like I, I went to kermit well, you know the truth yeah. of the matter is the you probably, he there. probably just sounded like hey i'm gonna go audition for yeah. snl but when you think Sandler, you go i'm gonna go to Hi, chicago, Hi, I'm gonna go to chicago. Oh, oh, yeah. crazy i'm gonna be on saturday night live <laughs> the worst the three tenors oh, the three oh, sandlers sandlers, yeah. sandlers. Yeah, yeah. Three sandlers. <laughs> it's we, Jewish Groundhog Day <laughs> we gotta get an infomercial for that yeah, yeah. we really do a infomercial ladies and gentlemen the three sandlers <laughs> I really need an infomercial a infomercial hey do you wanna fuck a lot <laughs> Is it an infomercial Sorry. for ninfos or just a normal infomercial with people that are clearly nymphomaniacs? Oh, I don't know. I like that. That's more subtle rather yeah, than yeah. it being like, a, are you telling me that I can fuck all day long? You know, yeah. as opposed to like. No, no, it's a pan. What's wrong with you? Oh. <laughs> such, a, such a deep misunderstanding. <laughs> You don't, you don't have to scrub it. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's an issue I have. So, so Sandler got the call when he was when Judd was living with him, and and Judd said, "I felt sorry for him because I was like, he doesn't do impersonations. He doesn't do characters. He's not gonna. There's no way he'll get it." And he comes back and he's like, "I got the show." <laughs> and then <laughs> the three Sandlers. Yeah, that was, yeah I'm one the of the three Sandlers. Sandlers. I got the show. I got the show. <laughs> um, and then um, and Judd said then he stopped performing just stopped doing stand up yeah. Yeah. yeah because yeah. he was like oh I'm never going to be as charming and good as that on stage and so I guess I shouldn't do this and then you know Judd's done a few things since then but you know, not a lot yeah, but you know what? Yeah. But that, but the thing with stand up, <laughs> I mean, uh, come on, on come on, you guys, let's let's yeah. let's hold some feet let's, to the yeah. fire here. Yeah. He hasn't done that many Not things. No, no, no. And what is what do you do? Freaks and geeks or yeah. whatever? Who has a harder time walking down the street? That's what I yes, want to know. Exactly. Jed, Jed a- a- Appet- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nobody even knows the full yeah, name. He did, uh, he did the movie uh, Fat Kids at Camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the. Uh, it, it, I, I'm always fascinated to see. Who, when people start off in stand up, who really kind of has the the unquenchable fire of a stand up? Because I think some people maybe consciously use it as a means to an end. I think some people unconsciously use it as a means to an end because the life of a stand up is an uncomfortable one in terms of it's you know it's a lot of travel. You can only get better at it if you do a shit ton of shows. You have to it, suck for a long time. You have long to time. suck, but even after you get famous. Then I think people start getting like, oh, if I'm not good, people are going to judge me or yeah. it's going to be weird. Like about how Chris Rock never announces that he's going to perform yeah. around New York because he doesn't want people to come and – I mean when he's working out material. Yeah. yeah. Not when he actually does a big show. So what do you where do you land on all that? Because I can't imagine a time where I don't want to do stand-up. I love stand-up. I'm craving it right now. I'm craving <laughs> being on stage and uh, working on new material. And But um, yeah, I mean I, it's um, – I don't have the status that Chris Rock and Chappelle and Louis and those and Schumer have in New York where I can just pop into stuff. So I, have <laughs> I bet to, you could pop I in. I have to like put in avails and stuff. Yeah. It's very complicated. Uh, so yeah, I, I sometimes do a private, not a private show. <laughs> I do a private show for 10 friends. Um, <laughs> they're honest with me though. They're honest with me. I, I pay for a lot of stuff, but they're honest with I me. I do like unpublicized shows at Union Hall in, in Brooklyn. I perform at Birbiglia's. In Birbiglia's living room. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, Union Hall because it's down the street from where I live, and it's an awesome comedy venue. One of the great American comedy venues that seats ninety people. You, well, know, you those, guys and you guys, of course, have. That. I, it's one of my favorite venues. Yeah. Well, you know, there 
there's kind of a renaissance in LA comedy right now where the comedy store is amazing now. Oh, really? And the improv is fantastic oh, now. Wow. And and so everything's kind of, you know, and Meltdown's really fun and UCB's got two yeah. theaters and so it's it's a I'm really, so jealous of Meltdown. It's, it's a good a, have It's a nice little spot. You know what it is, but I'm it's also that. it's very Meltdown's very spoiling in the sense that it's so great that you might go other places and be like, oh, this joke really killed. I mean, it's really good. I think it's a great place to try brand new stuff. Well, that's how I feel about anything in Brooklyn. Chris Gathard and I both do, who's in the movie, both do a lot of stuff in Brooklyn and a lot of stuff in Manhattan. We go to Brooklyn, which I think is your meltdown, yeah. uh, to tell jokes to our friends. Basically. <laughs> and then we take it to Manhattan for what people think. Yes. <laughs> what the swap. People who already don't have the luxury of liking you exactly. ahead of time. Exactly. I'd say that's the worst part about meltdowns. Every week I have this safe space I can go and just goof off and everyone knows me and I get laughs and I forget that if I go anywhere else it's not the same. And that, that silence is so punishing. Yeah, it's weird other because places. it's like, it's, like what you, it's me! It's Jonah! <laughs> you know, Wait, me. Is it possible that I could play you the laughs that this got somewhere yeah. else on yeah, my that, phone? You're a Pakistani man that can stand next to me. That, <laughs> that, that, but that's really the... Uh, that's that's really sort of the allure is, is comedy. A lot of comedy is about very much what you said about di- about discomfort. And when you get too comfortable in a space, I think it's good to balance. I think it's good to do all oh, kinds of Oh, of course. Of yeah. But, you know, obviously the longer you do comedy, it's like, oh, this feels really good. These people already know me. I don't have to do as much work. It's so easy to get lazy because, you know, or not lazy. I think it just depends on what you want. But no, you know, I think lazy is right. I think the I see specials from certain people who have huge fan bases oh. and I'm oh. <laughs> come on guys come on you gotta dig come in. on don't this throw me under gotcha the bus <laughs> the gotcha comedy podcast <laughs> I didn't see it coming even though it's called the gotcha comedy podcast I thought we were just hanging out like friends <laughs> <laughs> and then I admitted who were overrated comedians. I'm so sorry. I, they're just too good. It was just too tempting. Let's just see. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word lazy in the sense that Joan and I have had this conversation, yeah. and, and I said, you know, if you don't really, if you don't really feel like you have to tour and do, you know, like you don't need to do those other rooms. You could just do the rooms where you feel happy and comfortable. You know, yeah. like, so. I, but for me. I just feel like I need to feel like I can survive in other spaces. Yeah, I like to do shows like weirdly, you know, in as a stand-up comedian, you reach a point where it's like you're doing, you know, small rooms in Brooklyn, you're doing clubs and you're doing, uh, you know, maybe a club in Cincinnati and you're doing corporates and you're doing colleges and all those things are very different from each other. And I even like to think like when I do like a corporate event like that's private for like some insurance company or something like where you literally can't win, yeah, like they literally they like they don't know, never heard of you. Well, you can't they don't even feel bad like about you. that though. But it's but it's I, I I like doing those in some ways to like feel the pain of like okay, so there's like three minutes of that forty that can work anywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know what's interesting though is that. I don't think there's anyone who can really work anywhere, and I think that's I think that's I like to call it uh, pre-Vatican II comedy. That's that comedy from the '80s, like before the reform happened, with the where the audiences got savvy. I think there was an '80s style of comic who sort of felt like wait what? But okay, in this, where's the Vatican II? 
Is it po- the podcast era? No, I think it was. I think it was after the like, comedy bubble burst. So after the comedy, ninety two. Like oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I think after ninety two, the, then it, everything became a lot different. And I think that old school, like you should be able to go into any room, no matter what, in a moment's notice, kill. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's a nice ideal, but I do think but in general... It's like a Boston comedy approach. I think yes. so, because yeah, I do think in general not every one. joke works everywhere, you know? Like, it, it's... there. But there is a hum- there's a humanity that you're trying to go towards that you want to work everywhere. Like, I, like I tell a story on my first, one of my first albums, Sleepwalk With Me, about having a bladder tumor when I was 19, and I couldn't crack that forever. I couldn't make it funny, but one, it's like the fun, comfortable concept. Yeah. Like, once you can make that funny, that can I curse? That shit works everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you can. Like, but thank you so much for asking. <clears throat> okay, okay, you can. This is the Gotcha Podcast. <laughs> Potty mouth, Mike Berbiglia. Oh man, shitting on comics to use his terminology. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, I knew it was called the Gotcha Comedy Podcast, but I just I didn't make the connection. No, yeah, no. They made me swear, which I'm normally not comfortable what? doing. I mean, I, don't, I just lost it in there. It just all fell apart. But that, and that's why, and you know, that goes to the thing with my movie don't think twice is i we want it when we were testing it with audiences we wanted it to work with older folks and younger folks like the coolest thing was this weekend with the q a's this guy stood up and asked a question he goes he goes i he goes i'm the oldest person in this room and i wanted to hate it but I loved it. <laughs> and, and Are you he... sure it wasn't an Oh Hello character? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm familiar with that show, but um, I don't believe it was. Um, the, it's, no, and, and that was the biggest compliment. I said, what's your question? But he didn't have one. Um, but My question is, who am I? <laughs> and how what do I... I... <laughs> and no, it... Can you call a hospital? <laughs> it's so close to that. That's what he sounded like. But that, but that, that was very affirming, is this idea of, like, that it's for old people and young people, and it's for all... You know, that's the goal. You want it to hit... You want everybody to laugh at the human element of it. But do you yeah. feel like if you have something that speaks to literally everyone, then it kind of doesn't say anything? Like, is it possible to speak to everyone and still have substance? But I think that... I, well, I think that's what... If you want to get real wonky with it, I think that's what's kind of life-affirming for comedy nerds about Louie, is that you go, oh, everyone likes him. That's pretty good. I don't like, know if everyone... He's I, really popular and he's really good. Yeah, he but that's, is. That, that's rare. You know? No, I know, but yeah. I think that that's what's. I think that's what's exciting about his rise in popularity in the 2000s is like you just go, oh, okay, it can work. I mean, I think he, you're good and you're popular. I think yeah. he bridges the. I definitely, he definitely bridges the gap. Like he can do alternative rooms, he can do mainstream rooms, but I bet there are rooms that people will be like, why is this guy so? You know, why is he talking shit about his kid? I mean, I feel like. There are people somewhere that would be like, well, that is offensive, you know? Yeah. But I agree. In terms of broadest, like the, someone who can reach everyone, Louie, Gaffigan, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, Bill Burr probably, uh-huh. you know, I've seen him I've seen him win over well, rooms. Kathleen Madigan's like that. Put yeah. her in any room in America. Yeah. Crushes. Yeah. And I don't know if I... You know, I don't know if I feel like it's necessary for me to be that. Do you no, feel I get like that. it's necessary for you to be that? Clearly, my career dictates otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it is. I don't. I don't think I. I, I uh, strive for that 
kind of widespread uh, appeal or success. You know, I think about, you know, some of my favorite bands are bands that no one will really, and I don't say that to say like, I like obscure bands. I mean, you know, easy high fidelity. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But some of my favorite bands are bands that no one will ever hear about. And that's fine. It doesn't take anything away from how much I like them. Right. And it's like, you know, if you're going to start bringing in, you know, is it, is it successful art? If, uh, if not everyone knows about it, if only a few people know about it, but they really like it. I think that, I think that's an ego pursuit. I think when people don't like something that everyone likes anymore, it's more about them than it is the art. Yeah. Cause it's more about them going, I have a need. I need to be addicted to liking obscure hidden things. And once they're not hidden, it holds no intrigue for me then that then you don't really like that thing you just like the concept yeah. of liking things that no one else knows but that's about. that's from the fans point of view i'm talking about from the the artist's point of view like is it bad that you know there's you know for example like a band i really like uh called the weaker thens you know uh a lot of people know them to where they had a, a career where they made a good living off of music but you say that word and no one really knows what you're talking yeah. about it does that take anything away and even the pixies weren't all that popular in their time and now are 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 like one of the great all-time yeah, rock exactly. and roll it's bands. like the, the idea of uh like nirvana are they're more successful commercially than the pixies but you know creatively is there any difference well i don't know i think it i think a lot i mean i think it's a very complex question with a very complex answer because i think it depends on why the artist does it in the first place yeah do they do it because they love performing do they do it because they want to hear thirty thousand people screaming do they do it because they just need to be up on stage or is it a i mean it, it there's so many different reasons why people do things well i mean with this movie i've yeah. been traveling around doing these like free improv workshops in like 30 different cities so we've been like with my uh with our coach from the movie liz allen she taught our improv group to do improv as a group and created group mind and they came to town early and it was this cool thing and now we're doing these free improv workshops and then she teaches improv and then I talk to imp- improvisers about sort of how improv principles relate to directing or acting or any kind of creation and and I always just say I think that there's a complete um, I think there's a complete misunderstanding of what success is in America. I think success somehow has become equated with um, visibility mm-hmm. and exposure and has moved away from actually what success should be, which is connecting with people mm-hmm. and helping them in some way and yeah. contributing. And I think that as, as performers, three of us are performers, and we're all, you th- all, on, on our, our worst days, we probably think of what we do as like a narcissistic pursuit and we're like, oh, I don't contribute anything. It's actually not true. As a performer, you have the ability at our best, if it's for 20 people, at, you know, in a small room, or if it's for thousands of people or millions of people, you have the connect, you have the ability to take someone's day that was really upsetting and in the world situation right now disturbing, and make them laugh on days when they they didn't think they were going to laugh. Well, I also yeah. and I think, you know, having having performed for twenty thousand people at Oddball, oh wow, or you know, thirty people at Meltdown. They're totally different experiences, but I love performing for like 30 people in a small room Me too. because it's so it's so intimate and comedy really should be intimate. Yeah. And being able to connect with individual people and really feeling like oh, I'm not just talking at you 
we're all a part of this thing yeah. right now in this one group, and it's really and that makes it really really special. It's funny the um, that dumb cover band thing I do with Mark Hoppus from Blink One Eight Two. Like we were playing at a bar downtown, and just like you know five cover songs, like a Pixie song, a Descendant song, and just you know some uh, stuff like that. And then I, I asked him, I was like, why? Why you play stadiums? Mm-hmm. You play arenas? Like why do you want to take time out of your day to just do this? cover band with a couple other comics and he's just like he's like oh it's still performing it's still fun and like this way i can actually see the faces of the people i'm playing to it's just it's it's a different dynamic and and our manager alex murray said something once that was that really i liked a lot which is you know he said he said you know you it's okay to be a you can be a quiet success like i don't think i'll ever play madison square garden i don't think i'll ever be able to fill madison square garden yeah. and i don't care like i i you, you mean the worst comedy venue on earth that, yeah. we, <laughs> that we that we all pretend is the brass ring of yeah. comedy exactly <laughs> oh you have a laugh well you might as well throw it in the gutter cuz i'm not going to hear it there it's the biggest lie that we've told ourselves that yeah. that's the brass ring of comedy i don't know how that rumor got started yeah i don't know because i think it's just it it's kind of what went, you said i'm not going to say who i went to see there comic but i did not Stay. Say it. Nope. <laughs> gotcha. See who that shitty comic Wait was. Wait a minute. What are you guys doing to me? Nothing. Here? Nothing. We're just asking questions. You're trying to get me to say a comic that I don't think is that good? <laughs> no, no, no. On to a different topic. Last five people you saw at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I saw speed rounds. Springsteen. It's not a good venue. The point is, it's not a good venue. I did. I did my last show. Thank God for jokes off Broadway for four months in a 250 seater to Lynn Red Grape Theater, and I'd never felt more connected to audiences in my entire career. 250 seats. I think that's a perfect room. Well, I think it. Yeah. I think it's very telling that you know when Chappelle. We'll do these residencies in San Francisco. He does the punchline. I know. Pops. I opened for him in one of those, and I loved those crowds. It was amazing, yeah. you know, because it's the energy of 200 people in a packed room, yeah. I think, is better than 500 people spread out in a large room with high ceilings. And Todd Glass always says that. Ideal number for a comedy room is like 150 to 200 people. It's yeah. so easy to make a show. <laughs> It's so easy. You put candles on the tables. Oh you God. put up a curtain. You just make the audience feel intimate. You know what? You want to fucking fail. Fuck you. You want to fucking fail. <laughs> I'd say one of the key That's things oh, is low ceiling. Like a low, low ceiling, ceiling is key. Because it, it traps in, laughs, bounce like, up and down. You mean like Madison Square Garden? Or like Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Real low ceiling room. There's but a I, basement I've you know what there I, I think Sometimes the basketball players hit their head on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just the games are more fun and exciting. It's a bring your basketball game. You have to bring yeah. if you bring a hundred people, you get to play. Yeah. But Le- I, but LeBron I, is like, ah, oh, I got to play basketball in that comedy room. Uh, <laughs> the one in the basement of the grocery store. Yeah, the that one. The but sight lines are terrible. But I think there's also something. I think there's also something uh, subconsciously um, subversive about. Like a comedy room should feel a little dirty, I think, yeah. in the sense mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be here, maybe we shouldn't be talking about this. That's why some of the some of the rooms that make no sense make on sense. paper are really great. You know, Meltdown is really just a yeah. storeroom, and there are posts in the middle of the room, and the yeah. ceilings yeah. are super Acme, low. Acme, Acme in Minneapolis, yeah. same way, which, Such by the way, is it, is it support, stay? if you're listening to this, support petitions online to keep Acme open. Yeah. What? It's one, of those, it, well, it's one of those. Who's trying to close it? Well, it's, it's fucking like, it's the same thing that we talk about in the movie. In Don't Think Twice, the, the beginning of the movie is they lose their lease on their small theater because it's like, it, it is prophetic, weirdly prophetic, the, a Trump building coming yeah. in. 
Um, but it's happening across the country, sort of the Trumpification of of towns where yeah. they move in condos or whatever to places that are cool. The reason they're cool is because of comedy clubs like Acme Comedy Club, and then they, they can't afford the to, reasons. They can't afford to yeah. stay in the place that they made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like you know the 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 building that Meltdown is in is there's always rumors bubbling up because of what's happening in Hollywood. They're just tearing down buildings and putting. Well, the crazy up, thing is, if you yeah. take out the cool places to go and you just put an apartment, sooner or later people are going to go. Well, it sucks to live here because there's nothing to do, so let's move out. And yeah, but you might get a tender back. greens. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, you might. Oh, the salads are so good. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, like, but rooms like that are always in, uh, yeah, the comedy attic in Bloomington. Is oh another yeah, example of like it's an oddly shaped room. It's kind laughing of skull, seventy five seats. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it. Th- this idea of quiet success of, you know, can you sell enough tickets on the? R- I mean, I think it really boils down to, I- I've I've really come to define success lately as the most success I think you can ever ask for is, uh, are you do you like everything you're doing and do you not have to. Do anything to do you not have to take any job to survive? Yeah. And yeah. if you if the answer is yes, I like what I'm doing. No, I don't have to do anything to survive, and I'm fine. That's about you know like no matter what the dollar amounts yeah. are, that's about as successful as you. Because I think we forget we quantify it with money or like you said visibility, but ultimately it really boils down to do you like what you're doing? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and no amount of money is going to make you like. Something better that you don't like doing, uh, you know. So I remember a long time ago, uh, I was working somewhere, and some uh, Jason Alexander came up, and people were like, "Whatever happened to that guy, huh?" Right. Like, oh, oh I you guess mean he he's just on Broadway. Just, <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. And it goes back to your thing about its visibility that these people are yeah. projecting on. It's like if I can't see him, they're not doing well. But right. like he made a bunch of money on a sitcom, and then he went and b- back to just doing stage stuff, yeah. and he's probably pretty happy. Yeah, I unless mean, he needs the visibility. <laughs> Well, the visibility isn't really – it's just sort of a weird business because, it, you know, the visibility helps in the sense that you might get um, more work opportunities because, you know, companies, networks, whatever, film companies. Oh, I, oh that guy is in well, – I've seen him in stuff. Let's put yeah. him in a thing. Let's get him in a thing. Yeah. So it does provide more opportunities. But in terms of any kind of real value that it has, it doesn't have any, like – there's no real value or substance to being in a lot of magazines or tabloids or whatever. And even, you know, I even think in, in, in Schumer's case, I think it probably is not fun for her because she has started to appear in tabloids. And now she it's tough for her just to be the comic that she was because everything is put under a microscope. And it yeah. seems like I was on tour with her for Trainwreck last summer and. It was like traveling with the Beatles, sure. and where people would like it would be the cliche of like people like banging on the window of the SUV kind Jeez. of thing, or like the guy it's who like wild. I yeah, did not kind of grabbed her yeah, and was like, "We, I own you. You need to take this picture <laughs> yeah. with me." Like, well, she's a human being, and yeah. she's not. That's why I like really respect people like, and if people aren't familiar with him, look him up. Uh, Daniel Kitson is a oh yeah, UK Kitson, yeah, British comic, comic yeah. one of the greats, and. He doesn't do TV specials. He doesn't do talk shows. He just decided a certain, and he's extremely popular. Yeah. One of the most like highly regarded comedians in the world, but most people haven't heard of him. Right. He makes a great living. Yeah. Although the UK, I think UK comedy, I'm always a little jealous of it because basically yeah. long form pieces. And well, not only that, but the, but patient. the but the landmass. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, if if you could just perform in California, yeah. and you could hit. 
you could just keep touring. No, I know. Jimmy around. Jimmy Carr was it was a while for a while was doing two hundred dates a year in theaters all over the UK, and he wasn't leaving the UK. Yeah. God damn, everything, yeah, everything's probably... just a few hours away by train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of this stuff, uh, the stuff, the idea of success and, and what people want out of performing is talked about in Don't Think Twice. Yeah. Uh, where every, you kind of uh, took a improv group and each one of them have a, has a different idea of what it what they want to do creatively yeah. and, and what it takes. And that... Uh, like, did you kind of just base that off of different facets of your own ego or, like, people that you uh, think about? It's, it's definitely it's definitely pieces of me. Like, when I look – like, who I aspire to be is, like, Gillian's character, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, she, like, let's do it for the full reason Full integrity, of full artistic. She's, like, the, the you know, the, the, the heir to Del uh, – Del Close kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then – and then Keegan's character is very ambitious, and, and yeah, I have that. I directed two movies, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to have some ambition. Yeah. Well, yeah, that. and legendarily, you're the guy who rented an office and said, I'm going to write from nine to five like it's a job, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, and really treat it seriously and not just, you know, hope that I come up with stuff. Yeah, but you did also have that guilt that comes with success, like leaving, you know, some friends behind yeah. with where the character they're like, "Oh, we're all going to check out this new theater space." And he's like, "Maybe I don't go right now to the TV show." Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I was the idea came out of this thing where after I directed Sleepwalk with me, I was kind of I'm sure you guys do this after you finish like a big thing, you're like how did that happen? Yeah. Like, you look back and you go, how did I complete all those things? Because directing a movie is, like, unimaginably difficult because you're essentially executing nine art forms simultaneously on the screen between music and acting and sound design and, and uh, you know, production design and photography. And you're like, how the he- I, I'm not equipped to do that. How do I know how to do nine art forms? Well, a lot of it was from, taking, you know, being in an improv troupe my freshman year in college. And learning, you know, Sharna Halpern came to campus with Improv Olympic and taught workshops. And we learned, like, say yes. And it's all about the group and all these principles. And I'm like, oh, that's how I knew how to direct a movie. Because I knew I had in my bones from when I was, like, a kid that collaboration is key. And, like, listening is key. And so I veered back towards doing a regular show at the Upper Citizens Brigade in New York um, with Chris Gethard and Tammy Sager, who were in the movie, and then on any given week, it would be like A.D. Bryant if she was around, or Vanessa Bayer, or like doing Connor Ratliff. Yeah, I've been thinking about doing that out here for. <clears throat> yeah, you, I miss it so I much. I love it. I love yeah. it because it's not, you know, you don't prepare. It's yeah. you know, you, you just it might go well, it might not go well. It costs five dollars. No yeah. apologies if it's yeah. not good. Yeah, um, I love that aspect yeah. of it, and. Um, and then I started doing this improv show, and then my wife made this observation when she saw us one night. Um, I think it was like that night. It was like a really great. It was like Ellie Kemper and AD, Brian, like a bunch of people. And my wife goes, um, it's amazing to watch this group because you're – everyone's sort of equally funny and talented, but yet like she's a cast member on SNL, and she's a movie star, and this person it lives on an air mattress in Queens. Yeah. And, and when she said that, I just thought, oh, my God, that's a movie. I just wanted to see that as a movie. And so I just started writing it kind of feverishly over the course of, you know, a few months. And then after I had a draft, it was over the refining it over a year and a half. And were you doing, were you writing it while you were doing Thank God for Jokes? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, because that was like a pretty was, down set show. Yep. Yeah. So well, I, I did 100 cities with Thank God for Jokes. And then I sat at, um, 
off Broadway. So it was set. Like year. you could just show up and do the show. <clears throat> I so could, your yeah. days were kind of, your brain was a bit more free. Yeah. And I would write, you know, I would go to a coffee shop from like 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. And, and write. I always try to write before I'm afraid of the world. that's a great way to say that i shut off my internet i shut off the email and i tried to write you know the i think there's a ginsburg lines like first thought best thought just like put it on the page like whatever whatever comes out and then figure in an edit later it's like the the hemingway thing like write drunk edit sober yeah uh you know and i don't drink but like that, but um, I don't like drink that. like Hemingway. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> more like Mickey Mantle. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, in my case, it's like write sleepy, yeah. Edit awake. Um, it's you know, really, I try to write early before I'm like I literally am not fully awake when I'm rose writing the screenplay. I was that's when I, some of the best stuff oh, wow. comes out. I, it's funny to hear you say when you finish a big thing like that, you go, "How did I do all that?" I, my first thought is always. How do I do that again? Like Please. I have no idea how I'm going to do that again. I've, yeah. I maybe I'm out of, and I think one of the fun things about having done comedy for so long was getting to that point where I was like, oh, you know, uh, jokes aren't all that precious. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they're, you know, some of them work, some of them don't. Yeah, one doesn't. You, you know, maybe I don't. You know, it's it's thinking I should know all of the jokes in the world now. And not, hey, man, I'll, I'll discover some tomorrow, next week Well, that's week what pe- on stage. people keep asking me in yeah. interviews, what, what's next? And I just say, I'm going to hang out with my wife and daughter for a while. <laughs> yeah. Is that, I don't, we don't have a title for it. <laughs> Life, I think. Right? But we do. We did start a Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's going to be some Instagram videos, yeah, daily, some Snapchats. Vlogs, uh, and, uh, we have a development deal. Yeah. This will, it's, it's funny because I, mean, I have a hard time being in Los Angeles. Um, which is where we are right now. Uh, that explains the fidgeting and the irritable. <laughs> no, no, I'm <laughs> relaxed. Uh, You're well, I just starting have, to undress. I have a hard. I analyzed it because you know I have a lot of friends here, you guys and Mulaney and Kroll and a bunch of people, and I I sort of analyzed it and I realized that it's it's Hollywood itself that I have a hard time in because you. Because you're looked at for what your value is, right? And I have a very low value. <laughs> I don't make people a lot of money, and so it makes me feel bad when people treat me based on my value. And so, you know, I'm staying with friends in Manhattan Beach, and we, my wife and daughter and I, go to the beach in the morning, like at eight o'clock, and then I head here for work. And it's a long drive, but it's like we get to have like. Well, you, let me ask you this: yeah, because no, you you have that career track where you. You re- genuinely work on stuff you care about, and you make stuff that you love, and it do- it and it all does. I feel like it does well, actually, because you 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 know, like you get to keep doing. Yes, it. no, and, and that's so, the bottom line. But it's doing be, well enough that I get to make more. But it'll be one of those things where I bet eventually. <laughs> I know where this is going, <laughs> but, but that I'll sell out in some way, and the studios will say, you know, what you could do is make a movie for thirty no, million. No, 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 no. no. I think, I think what'll end up happening is one of these things you make is gonna catch fire in a way where it's like Mike Birbiglia was nominated for an Academy Award for this thing, you know, and then all of a sudden, all of those value hunters. Are going to knock on the door. And so how are you – are you going to be okay with that? Will you process it? Will you reject it? Will you embrace it? Can you compromise with it? It's a a great question. And uh, I I think that ultimately I think you have to do what you love and not what you like. 
in order to make to continue making something you're proud of. Like whenever I like send some, you know, if I say to my Twitter followers or my Facebook friends, like, like I really would appreciate it if you come out to this. I make sure that it's like really, really good or it's the best I can do. Yeah. And I feel like that's a sacred bond in some ways. Like your relationship with your fans is like it's it's it matters if the stuff you're putting out is good. And I've kind right. of leaned away from doing stuff that I can't put my name on at all. And so as long as those pe- if those people come knocking on my door, what I'll say is the same thing that I said to, you know, this movie has a higher budget than my first film. And I, you know, I wanted, yeah, I'd love to make a movie with you guys. It's this awesome company, Cold Iron Pictures and Film Arcade. Um, I need to have final cut on the movie. Um, I need to have final approval of actors. Like there's all this stuff that... And in, in even like I final cut of like trailer and poster because I can't handle yeah. people like marketing in a way that makes me cringe. Right. You know, sometimes you see like great comedians and then their poster for their thing is just like, ooh, yeah. right. <clears throat> That's kind of painful. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> if they don't. Which one would you think uh, is painful the most? Uh, not, yeah. You must have a yeah. top five. Wait, what are you guys? No, doing? I'm just saying like, nothing. Was it like maybe one for like no, was no, it like a Madison Square Garden poster? Oh, you're or? trying to get me to no. We're just having a conversation. Yeah. We're just trying to find we're, out we're what you friends. like. It's and us. What you don't like yeah. the other two Sandlers. Yeah, it was a Chris Hardwick poster. What? I, gotcha! Oh my god! No! I fucking knew yeah, it. Yeah, I knew it too. And I got him, and now I feel bad. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun, comfortable poster. <laughs> that was my only way out of this. <laughs> because we're something. looking into each other's eyes. We're staring at each other's eyes, yeah. Oh, that was... Uh... I just got back from Comic-Con, and that was the thing you just said made me realize why I cherish experiences like like... Comic-Con is, I feel like, so... And it's also one of the reasons why I've been playing so much Pokemon Go is that so many of our experiences are, are conditioning us to isolate ourselves from everyone. Yes. Even, even, even though you're connected to billions of people ostensibly on the, on the internet, uh, you're still really just, al- you know, like a lot of times you're, you're interfacing with it alone and you're interfacing with a machine and text. It's all very cold and, you know, it's very depersonalized. And so I, experiences where you... You have to go out and interact with people and look them in the eye and engage yeah. and be part of a community, which is very much in the spirit of improv. Yeah, it, I feel like is really. I mean, it's effort, but I feel like it's really, really, really important. It's so important. I I always say whenever we are out doing these improv workshops, like I, like there's this line from there's a great oral history book of the history of Second City and the Compass Players. It's like this thick. Yeah. It's called Something Wonderful Right Away, and it's got like you know. It's a good good thing to have on your on your nice tank because it'll be like a chapter of Alan Arkin talking. Yeah, yeah. A, a, ch- a chapter of Elaine May just talking. You know, and it's really candid because it was from like 1981. Mm-hmm. It was like before they knew to censor themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll like throw each other under the bus. It's like Ann Mira and Mike Nichols oh, and all man. these people. And there's you know Severin Dart and all these people saying like. Some pretty critical things, but but they're all. I think it was Paul Sills who said, and I completely believe this is like any on any given night anywhere in the country, whether you're in Phoenix or San Francisco or Chicago, you can create on stage with improv, or and this goes for any you know piece of theater. You can create the the best performed, best written, most topical, provocative, and thoughtful piece of theater that exists that night anywhere on earth. Yeah. 
And, and that's pretty powerful to think about that opportunity. Well, and because a lot of it has to do with, and also, you know, if you do, it's the same. If you do, you don't really, do you do, you don't do any crowd work. Do you do much crowd work at all? I did yeah, in my Thank God for a Joke show. I did a bit where because I talk about being arrested and I ask people if they've ever been arrested, <laughs> and so it's fun. Yeah. Every night it's a different person being arrested for something. It's a great story. Well, That's improv awesome. is all basically an extension of crowd work. Yeah, and and what's if you do a lot of crowd work, which I which I do, you find that it can be hard to follow your crowd work with your written material because oh my god, your crowd work and the improv. Is all about that group, that moment in time. It's all about that moment in time. And yeah. Just now you can get. Yeah, and it makes it really <laughs> special. You know, the, especially with an improv, it makes it really special because that's all. It, they're all. It's all happening together. The yeah. entire lifespan, the birth of the thing. You know, it's all the way through its death at the end. Yes, it's all right yeah. there. And I, just, it's. I feel like it's harder to. I mean, I feel like it, that's so. That can be so much more special than. Writing something and hoping that people connect with it in a way. Yeah, there was a I, you know last night I watched Don't Think Twice and I followed it up with the the Thank You Del, Thank You Dell documentary. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, it was a nice little improv movie. Todd Bieber's documentary. Yeah, it's fantastic. But there is a there is a uh, footage of Dell uh, directing a show at and like George Went is in it. I think Tim Kazarinski is right. In it. Yeah, oh he's directing a show at yeah. Second City. It's and got he, great footage. It's amazing. Like tons of stuff and like a cool story within it about this group from Missouri that came out to do the Dell Close Marathon. It's a really great movie. Uh, but like, there's this amazing moment where uh, Dell comes up and he's like, all right, let's run it again. But just, and this is going to sound silly, but let's try to remember that we improvised this at one point. And yeah. let's try to remember yeah. that it was like a real live thing. A live thing, thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, and I want to know, like, with the movie, the improv scenes that you guys did, you had some good angles on it and they looked like well lit and, yeah yeah sure and, but they still felt that they were real well, the, improv so. the, the goal was you know with my cinematographer joe anderson is like we wanted to shoot improv a way that it's never been shot before we shot it steady cam on the stage from the perspective of one of the other improvisers so it feels like a dance sequence or a fight sequence and yeah. so these feel like your friends and then in terms of like what was improvised and what wasn't we basically i had written out the improv scenes and then while we were in those costumes we would just do real improv for 10 minutes in each costume and so that stuff is sprinkled in but when you work with chris gethard and tammy sager it's like lights out and it can be so hard it's so challenging to capture improv on camera because it's kind of like it's kind of like shooting a magic trick i know where people feel like there's something in their brains that goes, oh, but it's shot, so it it's probably like they lose that sense of the magic of the moment. Well, the key for the that you're right, and that's what we're we we're trying to make the improv more about friendship than about comedy. Yeah. So, in other words, that that the that that it doesn't really matter if the improv is funny. Yeah. But it matters if it feels like these are our friends because yeah. the movie is a lot about friendship and it's about how. How often, you know, friends like when I was writing the movie, I wrote this phrase on my wall. I wrote, uh, "Art is socialism, but life is capitalism." (laughs) (laughs) That may, yeah, it makes perfect sense. No one ever says it in the movie, but it was like the guiding principle for all the scenes. It's like, what? What's a movie like that? Like where you see that, like this group of best friends, which is like they're called the commune. Um, what happens when someone gets SNL? Someone, you know, is getting opportunities that other people don't, and 
And so the friendship is the key because I think that that's, you know, I, what I'm finding is like people in their 20s and 30s are seeing it and they're like, oh, that's like my life and that's kind of crushing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, some things were pretty brutal. <laughs> like, pretty just like, oh. And then, and then some people are like 70 or 80 and are like, oh, that's what my life was like in my 20s and 30s. Yeah. And they, like, it, I want it to feel like your friends. Yeah. So that's why we sort of filmed it in that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's what's funny is, is like I we were talking before about like what's popular versus like what you like. I think that's what, yeah. how you framed it is like or what's good. Yeah. And or I feel like to you. one of the goals of this movie was make a film that I want to see. And I feel like movies that are dramatic and comedic are not really greenlit in the studio system right now. Yeah. Um, I feel like movies like The Big Chill and Hannah and her sisters and, and broadcast news are like they, in the 70s and 80s, they used to be studio films and now they're indie films. Yeah. And it's like kind of a bummer. Like even a movie like Almost Famous is like, I feel like that movie's not being made right well, now. Well, because the studios yeah. are run by marketing departments yes. now and I think they don't know how to market something like that. They well, how do we market? Is it, you know, Yeah. Um, who's the worst improviser in the group? Oh. Gotcha! <laughs> <laughs> it starts with an O or has an O in the name. <laughs> No, uh, you, you know who's amazing though. The movies Gillian Jacobs had never improvised before, and she's phenomenal. Really, she's re- she never improvised. But not really. She was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, really, because whenever she's been on At Midnight, she's fucking amazing. Yes, amazing. She's like a classically trained actress. Yes, right? yeah. she went to Juilliard. Yeah, famously had a. She wrote a, a piece for Lena Dunham's newsletter, Lenny, right. about her stressful experience at Juilliard. She never. She was like, they kept threatening to cut her out of the program and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, she had a really rough time. Oh, she's so funny. Yeah. She's unbelievable. I think she's like on her way to being like a major movie star. See, same yeah. with Keegan. I feel like Keegan Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs. I got so lucky that I'm just like, I. I, I caught them right before they're gonna I mean Keegan's already kind of a major star but they were great their relationship felt really real uh, and you know I, I enjoyed that scene towards the end of the movie that they did uh, where it was like the really emotional scene yes. scene uh, and it was just I, it's funny because when I when it first revealed that they were together I guess I because I like know them both I was just kind of I was like oh that's, uh, they're kissing <laughs> like they're, <laughs> they're kissing, kissing. Uh, but then, like they, they're such grounded, and that's what makes them such good comedic actors is that they ground everything in like the the most truth. But Keen's uh, yeah. a classically trained actor before he was a sketch comedian. Well, the I think Bastard. part of the yeah, part, I think <laughs> I know right. <laughs> well, that's yeah. like by, by the way, the, I saw um, on uh, Obscure Media, which is a subreddit that I adore. Yeah, someone posted uh, a 1985. Uh, it was Tom Brokaw was doing a story on uh, Jim Varney. He's a story on Jim Varney, who's the uh, Ernest. And uh, it was right when the... Wait, commercial- is this the same guy who did Three Sandlers? This, this is the Three Sandlers guy? The, he does Brokaw the, also? I, let yeah. Say, you don't I know? Have, We're the two Brokaws. I have a lot of rain from Brokaw to Sandler. Three Brokaws? I don't know about that. After the break. So <laughs> they showed this. So that it was right when the Ernest commercials took off and it was done. When you see how they were made, it's, it's very much like how kind of like, you know, the viral low end campaigns are made now. A guy came up with a character who's not Jim Varney. He they shot all the stuff at his house, like in South Carolina. Mm. 
but there's all this footage of Jim Varney doing Shakespeare, and it is fucking incredible. Yeah. He is in a, and even at the very end, he does this in, this soliloquy and then looks down at the camera and goes, know what I mean? Oh, and it, and oh my God. And it's so mind-bending, but you realize, you know, it's sort of what, what makes really great artists great is that you don't, you don't see the infrastructure behind that. You don't see and, all. It's it's so and of course Larry, of course Larry the Cable Guy is a yes, of course, classically, exactly. classically <laughs> trained. Yeah, he was in the Footlights. <laughs> he, oh, he played the Guthrie for years. Yes. <laughs> you, you mean Sir Lawrence, the, the Cable Fellow? <laughs> Sir Lawrence the Cable Fellow. Sir Lawrence the Cable <laughs> yes. Fellow. Hashtag <laughs> Sir Lawrence the Cable Fellow. But I think please be finished. That's you know, get her done. I think part of what the <laughs> please hashtag go on go on go on. But I think I think part of this idea of of art being socialism and life being capitalism is that the the capitalism part is kind of where the ego lives. Mm-hmm. And I think you know I think part of the artist's main struggle is. Is really kind of dealing with the ego stuff, yeah, and and getting it out of the way, or feeling out how, feeling figuring out how to make friends with it, or figuring out how to compromise with it, because all those issues, you know, uh, all those issues that kind of arise, especially when a group, which is essentially a band, yeah, starts, you know, it's it's a lot of the ego stuff. You know, how can you not feel? Oh, he's getting a little more attention than I am, or she's getting a little more. And it, weird. and also, there's this sense of like. There, you have to realize at a certain point that if you're trying to get to the top in art, there is no top. Literally, so it's the top uh, of what? Of what? And so, it, like, there's. I was. I heard this interview once with the guy who wrote Beautiful Girls and a lot of other stuff, like a bunch of Nick Cage stuff. And he was saying he was in a, uh, Nick Cage's like um, trailer, like in Arizona on a movie. Uh, in the 90s and it was right after like leaving Las Vegas maybe he won an Oscar was nominated for an Oscar like top of the world yeah. doing like studio films and films with integrity and being nominated for awards or winning awards and uh, and like a TV commercial came and they're, and they're in a trailer that literally he said at the time was bigger than my apartment in New York City <laughs> and there's like Nick Cage they turn on the TV and there's a commercial for Tom Cruise in, in, a, in some movie or whatever and, and he's like how am I not Tom Cruise Oh, oh my god. Man. That is it's a uh Dimitri Martin told me a story once where he was talking with um Albert Brooks and then uh Steve Martin came up and Albert Brooks got visible. Are there upset. more name drops in this story? There yeah. could be. No, no. Jonah was telling that to his friend Mark Hoppus in Blink 182. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that that was uh, that made sense in the conversation though. Yeah. And so yeah. does this. Yeah, of course. Uh, sorry, a friend of mine was talking to Albert Brooks. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys do when you hear that? Who's your friend? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> who gotcha. was the guy who yeah, came up? It. Gotcha, Jonah. Yeah. But you know, I think I think it's part of it is um, you know. But hold on, hold on. Finish he, my thing. He's got. He, you oh, got to let him tell yeah. the story that or the name drops seven in, people. What it, was, it literally is it, it, in context to everything we're talking about. Yes. But it's uh, uh, sorry, my friend wasn't on set with fucking Nick Cage. I, I heard. I don't know why you're attacking Mike. He was just telling a story that totally made sense within the context of the conversation. So does this. <laughs> it would be. It would be. It would be funny if you guys had a separate Nerdist podcast that was just like 
inappropriate segues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where it's just like, here's the footage that got cut out. Yeah, yeah. That would be most because... of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we record like three, four hours of this, yeah, and yeah. we just cut out to the most usable and 50 the, And then the real nerds are like, you know what's actually great is nerdist inappropriate aside. It's, yeah, it's yeah. better. It's much exactly. better yeah, than the real better. show. Yeah. But the fact is, um, Albert Brooks, uh, like, Steve Martin came up like in conversation and he he got visibly upset he's like that motherfucker like he he, you know they're both comedy legends but he still has an issue against Steve Martin well I think to this day I think it probably you know I humans measure gains in terms of relative gains sure it's like they don't humans don't really I don't think they really appreciate absolute gains Yes. You don't. You don't go. You know, if someone gives you a hundred thousand dollars. You go, oh my God, they gave me a hundred thousand dollars, and you find out they gave your neighbor two hundred thousand dollars. You'd be like, oh, oh, why did he get two hundred? You know, it's like people are just kind of wired that way, and I, I don't know what the. I'm sure there's some bio. I'm sure there's some sort of evolutionary function to. Maybe it's Chris Cathard always says he goes if you know when you. Look at your friend who, who your neighbor who has an in ground pool. You're like, how come I have an above ground pool? Right. Yeah. It's so <laughs> stupid, but we all have this weird jealousy thing. I don't. You know, I think part of it is, I think honestly, part of it is this the the, the need to kind of be a part of a community, but also be significant in your community yeah. because there is there is that. You know, and maybe it's just all mating ritual stuff. It's like, oh, if I am significant, then I will attract the best mate, and I will oh, yeah, appreciate. Could be, yeah. I will spread my my genes will be the most dominant genes, and you know, maybe that just trickles down to shit like that, and maybe that's what that is. It's just a sort of an outcropping of that dumb, you and, know. And the fullest realization of that is Orphan Black. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> seventeen clones of oneself, yeah. all the clones, all the time. But you know, I don't know. It's like, how do you kind of wipe the ego stuff out of the out of the way and focus on the work? I try to, but it's you know, obviously, I made a whole movie about jealousy. It's on my mind, right? Uh, Are you particularly jealous of something at the moment that you're dealing with? No, I weirdly feel thanks to the folks you know who've seen the movie and have come to the shows in the last few years. Like, I, I weirdly feel like I'm completely content, and as long as I can just keep making stuff like this and. um yeah, I, I mean, I feel like for a long time I was frustrated because I hadn't sort of – I hadn't found it, what it is I'm sort of meant to do. I feel like now I'm like, oh, okay, this – I'd like to make movies and, and solo shows and specials and kind of that's what I do. Do you think it's good – I feel like there's some part that's good I, – because I, I do think there is a form of competitiveness that's good. Yeah, I, absolutely. When it when it makes you strive to be better, I think it's good. When it yeah. makes you crush, yeah. try to crush people and salt the earth, then it's bad. Or yeah. when it leads to jealousy and rage spirals and hate, you know, then it's then it's all bad. But I do believe because I, you know, I, I know, I know without naming them, and don't try to get me because I'm the host of the Gotcha Podcast. No, keep an eye on it. I know, <laughs> I know comics who have played the coveted Madison sure. Square Garden. Yes, the best comedy room. The in America. best comedy the best. that we've all the agreed. The tallest ceilings. Yeah, the tallest ceilings. The finest bathrooms. And the longest. <laughs> and the name is long. Good popcorn too. Yeah, uh, that's what I want at a comedy show. That they, that they will kind of go like, oh, but you know, I'm not. Zach Galifianakis, or I'm not someone who, or I'm not someone who can do like the alternative rooms, or I'm not. There's always something, but is there an element to that that's good because it always makes you strive to to be better? Hopefully, 
I think so. I think I think you know, and that's the like the Malcolm Gladwell theory of of uh, the two books ago. I'm forgetting the the uh, tipping point. No, the other blink. one. The uh, blink. The, no, the, the outliers. Dog, the dog outliers. Outliers. Outliers is, is all, the, the, the is all about shoes. like groupings of people, right? Who who force each other to kind of rise up, yeah. like you know, get be better than the other person, and that person tries to be better than that person, and, and the competitiveness actually does create good pockets of art and science and whatnot yeah but do you think it's competition or uh inspiration they don't want to admit to what do you mean the inspiration you don't want to admit to? so it's, if it's someone if if it is it could be competition you mean carlos someone... mencia's inspiration <laughs> no I, I meant uh... no 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 it's just uh jonah's talking to you know one of his friends like yeah. you know Catherine o'hara or albert brooks okay or yeah these are close personal friends of mine yeah, yeah. And they were part of my life. So it's weird that you would make fun of me for bringing them up. You keep on saying Chris Gethard, a man that I DM'd with two days ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh fine, Jonah. You know him, too. Look at I've it. met him. Yeah. He's been on at midnight. Yeah, he has. Uh, I have, that was me struggling to remember what I was going to try and say. Well, you were talking about uh, how your... Oh, yeah, so everyone's doing stuff at the same time. Is it competition? It's like, I'm going to be better than that person? Or it's like, hey, I kind of like what they're doing. Uh, I might try to do something like, uh, like in the same way. I think that happens all the time. Yeah. But is it – I is, see. Yeah. Does it have to be competition though? Does it have to be I'm going to best you? I don't think competition is inherently good or bad. I think it's, I think it's how you – I think it's what your intentions are. Yeah. You know? I think there is healthy competition to – that's really amazing. That in turn inspires me to to try to be better for myself or to try to see if I can reach higher than I thought I could before. Yeah, you even look at like the 2000s of uh, the comedy boom and a lot of it goes back to Dane Cook. Yeah. Uh, he was the first of all of these folks to be like, of all these comedians, to be like, I'm going to connect with my fans on the internet. Yeah, and then you, then if you track back, you go, would Louis C.K. have been as popular if he didn't notice what Dan Cook was doing with his fans on the internet? So it all goes back to him. Does it? I don't Vision know. Zero? I don't know. Does it? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I know that there's a lot. I mean, there's that great Dane Louis episode. Yeah, where you know they're fr- you know they have frustrations with each other because. I think in real life, Louis trashed Dane on something. Like people on YouTube were putting their bits side by side. And Is she asshole that, or something? Yeah, yeah. And, and they were saying Dane stole from it. But uh, meanwhile, my my wife made this observation that was one of the things that, that um, <clears throat> inspired me to write the film was when she came to my improv show, she was like, uh, one night she goes, your stand-up friends are so mean to each other and your improv friends are so nice to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, I said, I was like, it's true, but it's more complicated than that. <laughs> I think it's, with improvisers, it's a little more under the surface. Yeah, it's like Minnesota nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or Chicago yeah. nice. Yeah, 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 Midwest. It's Midwest nice. But I think with improvisers, it's like, it's very competitive. It's a lot of people vying for the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but stand-ups will just straight up go after each other. Yeah. I get. Well, stand-up is definitely the. Uh, it's definitely the uh, you know the solo act versus the band. Yeah. You know. I mean, al- although in an improv group, though, whereas a band might have different members who are more in the background or more in the foreground, an improv group really is kind of a. 
it's an really, organism. It's an organism. It's yeah. A, it's a fu- and it functions exactly the way it does because of that group of people. Yeah. And any 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 rotating in or out changes the chemistry of the group. I saw this group this week at UCB Theater in New York at a Herald Night called Women and Men. And we had actually – Liz Allen and I had done a little workshop with them like a few weeks ago. And I was just like – Oh, they're too good. Like they're gonna break up in like uh, three weeks. Like you sometimes you see an improv group and you're like they can't last do you because think, they're too good. Should an yeah. improv group last, or do you feel like that it should that they all should that it is an experience of a period of time? And I think they all... I think it's an experience of a period of time. I mean, you look at yeah. like I look at my favorite like improv groups and you know Operate Citizens Brigade, the original four were incredible. I would you'd probably would see them in the late nineties. You and I were both in New York in the late nineties, seeing yeah comedy. early two thousands yeah early two thousands where they would do ASCAT and it would just be like I can't be- I literally can't believe that this is improvised. It's so good. Um, the Swarm was like that at UCB. The stepfather stepfathers, which Gethard was in. Yeah. Beer Shark Sorry Mice. To- Beer Shark Mice. I mean, see, that's an example of like. Every once in a while, Beer Shark Mice get back together and do a show. Or even like it's sketch, but like the state is like yeah. outrageously it was outrageously good, and Stella was outrageously yeah. good. There's certain groups where you're like, and to your point, like I don't know if they can stay together. There's well, too many dynamics that are splitting them apart. There's too many dynamics, and people yeah. grow and people change, and, yeah. and and sooner or later they, you know, but there's, it's almost like the, the improv world. It's just kind of like this uh, lava lamp of like breaking apart, coming back together. Yeah, this is going over here, coming back together. But I think it is TJ and Dave is like that. You know, that's just a two person group, but like phenomenal. They've been together for I don't know, fifteen years. Are you going to do more improv now that you did this movie, or are you done? Are you like okay, I did it? That's well, it. I had like a weekly show at UCB in New York for a while, Mike Birbiglia's Dream, and I'll probably come back with it because I just enjoy it so much. I enjoy. The, you know, not being in my head. Yeah. How does it I, affect your writing? I think that it, I, I, it makes me, um, it trains me to not censor myself. I think that one of the biggest mistakes any of us make as writers is that we hold ourselves back, that we judge our thoughts. As I was saying, I like to write when I'm kind of half asleep because you don't judge your thoughts. You just mm-hmm. write it all down. There's something about like, Sometimes you write something, as you guys know, you write something, and you're like, if people saw this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have it's all hundreds over. of pages yeah. of notebooks that would end my career. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but yeah. in that sense, it's sort of like, <laughs> I just, in that sense, it's sort yeah. of like a diary. You know? It is a diary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, some of your thoughts on paper. A yeah. lot of my best stuff is like, is stuff that I write in my journal at night secretly and then. Eventually, I read through it, and I'm like, I could turn to say that on stage. Well, what's the worst thing you've written in the last six months? Oh, gosh. I mean, my whole thing lately has just been about, like, what I write in my diaries that my, you know, I have a daughter who's 14 months, and, and, you know, when you have a child, it's, you're jealous of your daughter. Like, you're, je- like, because you're, you have, you know, you have your, your wife and your daughter, and they, they love each other so much, and you're there too. <laughs> you know, you're just like this milkless, pudgy loser. You're essentially the vice president of the family. It's like huge title, no power, 
also oversees Congress. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's sort of like the essence of my journal for the last few months. And I'll probably end up writing a lot more about that. Just about how, like, you feel, like, envy towards your... Mike Birbiglia hates daughter, jealous yeah, yeah. of subjugation. Gotcha! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man! God damn it! I knew it! I should have... No, but it's, um... Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's... It's you... And you, like, with children, you just... When you have a child, you just experience all these things where it's an unstabilizing experience. And that's actually what's wonderful about it and what's hard about it. It's... It's like, or it's destabilizing. It takes, it, you know, that's why I didn't want to have a kid for a long time. That's why I didn't want to ha- get married for a long time. All these things I didn't want to do were, in a lot of ways, the best thing that could have ever happened to me, which is to say, like, one of the guiding principles when I wrote Don't Think Twice was, like, what happens when life gets in the way of dreams? And in some ways, like, that's what my experience has been, like, being married and having kids. It's like, that's what, that's my life. And... My dream would be that everything is controlled and I work this many hours a day and this many hours a week and I'm, you know, I create this many movies per year, this many one-person shows. And it's like, no, it's actually good to, to shake that up and be like, maybe that's not going to happen. Yeah. And if you did have that, I don't think – I just feel like people rarely know what's good for them. You know, people rarely know what's going to make them happy because – you just kind of have these idealized versions in your head of like, oh, if I do this thing and follow this ritual or follow this band, then everything will be amazing. And then you do it. and You're like, I feel empty. I feel Absolutely. weird. Yeah. Something's not right. We're, we're all going to be dead in like 20 or 30 years anyway. <laughs> oh, like, really? Jonah, I have some news. Oh, God. Why now? <laughs> well, uh, is it the cancer or the AIDS? Uh, <laughs> Gotcha. Um, <laughs> gotcha, Jonah. Oh, it's um, I don't have either? Well, at the end, we'll tell you. Right. <laughs> Tune in next week. Uh, we'll be right back. No, but it's like, you know, you, sometimes I think in those terms, it's like we're all going to be dead in 20 or 30 years. And it's like, I'll be lucky if I make one thing that endures in some way. And so it's like, why should I be obsessing over us? A comedy? Like, I get so mad that Louis, like, I love Louis, but like, He's the only person who can pull off doing a special a year. Like, everyone else was like, me too. And it's like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> you should not be doing that. Can I say Slow something, Slow down, though? fella, <laughs> to be named later. You know, I got to... Poor lady. I do want to say something. I do want to say something without starting... I do, literally don't want to start any crazy thing because I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Louis. But there are times where I feel like the race to put out a special a year there are some there are moments or bits of his where i'm like oh i just i just wanted to see that more developed or i wanted it's, to see it's the same as woody allen movies well, I just, yeah exactly yeah. i just wanted to see a little more of that i mean that's just my personal preference like oh just one more year of like really because he's such a he's he, he's he's such a deep thinker yes. and he's such a he really does write complex bits and i mean, i think to the race to get an hour out every year it's like some stuff just, you know, I think some stuff just sort of ends with like, eh, and then I took a shit in her face, you know, and then it, and I feel like, oh, that could have. Can I use that, by the way? Yeah. That's a good bet. Okay. Yeah. Good. But again, you know, uh, you know, not, not at all shitting on Louis at all. Uh, I'm just saying, the- I'm saying as a fan of his, there are some bits that I feel like, oh, I wanted to see how much further that could, that one could have well, gone. People ask me that a lot. Like I'm doing interviews a lot of film journalists right now and a lot of them who followed sleepwalk with me and then watched this are like 
can we have it faster than four years for the next one? And I'm like, I don't know. Has like, it been tr- four years? Yeah, 2012, 2016, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, and it's like, I, I'm trying. I'm going as fast as I can, but at the same time, like, I want to make something for you that you'll watch. The six- George R. R. Martin of comedy, Mike Berbiglia. Yeah. Yeah, I want to make something that you guys will watch six times and not once. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a volume thing. Yeah, I mean, there was a... There was a band I really liked, uh, got into their first album, came out, and then they kind of started putting out an album a year, and I, I, I lost track and got overwhelmed with how yeah. many there were, and I kind of didn't listen to them as much as the band that put out an album every four years. Well, what's Radiohead at? Like four or five years? I think so. No, they just... Oh. No, in terms of their per... How many per year, or per decade, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, About the- that, probably four or five. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a chunk of time. Yeah. To like experience I, life and be able. Well, to, King of Limbs came out in what 2011, 2010, 2011. Yeah. Those are six years. Yeah, yeah, and then the most recent one just came out. But in Rainbows, it was a few years before the last. Yeah, that was like four or five years before that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it really just takes as long as it takes. It takes as long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's what I get in all the interviews is people going, "What's next?" And like I said earlier, it's like, yeah, I just want to hang out with my family. Yeah, and then hopefully something comes out. But that's the thing, uh, you know, it's, it's something like, comes to me. The world wants just they just want their content. Yes. it seems that they don't they don't want to wait around for something that's really exciting and something that's been crafted and thought about more than a few times. That's before. what you know. Ritu said in one of his speeches. He goes, "I saw him at the, like Sundance Institute, and he was like, they take our art and they call it content. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it was such an awesome statement. It's like, yeah, it's like what he's making is great. It's like it shouldn't be viewed as like that's a ninety-minute piece of content. Yeah. yeah, but let's. Yeah, but I think we should also shouldn't kid ourselves that you know most of what people are trying to do when they watch or listen to something or play a game or read a book is distract themselves from the shitstorm that this sort of like. I mean, I know there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, but I do think a lot of it is, you know, I do think there's a lot of fear-mongering in news media. And I think because the level of news content has gone up so much. Yeah, more distractions. That there are more, you know, it's like, and again, there are horrible things happening in the world, but it just paints this picture of just, it's grim, it's hopeless, everything is bleak, it's all about murder, and it's all about... You know, it's all about the worst things you can think of. And I really do think people are overwhelmed. And so the content, art has become content as a as escapism, like a as a daily escapism, you know. So it, I, I do kind of understand that. And I think as content creators, we <laughs> should sort of understand the fact that the audience does want and need to, to es- counterbalance to counterbalance yeah. and to and to escape and to find something that where they don't have to, you know. But there's there's so many people creating stuff that you know we can still take our time. We don't have to be the one person giving them everything. You know, it's like right. like you know Mike puts out a movie this year, and then you know like next year I think the the new Mike Mills movie comes out. And right. Mike Mills' movie like Beginners came out in 2010. Yeah, and you know it's one of my all time favorite movies. Oh my and god, I, it's incredible. We and, have the same composer. Oh really? Roger Neal. He's oh god, yeah. But like the new, it's I'm glad that I had to wait. But in that time, I got you know. Like a Berbiglia movie or uh, a Taika Waititi movie or you know, Noah something Bombach that, movie. Yeah, or Noah Bombach oh movie, God. something like that. Taika so. Waititi directing Thor. That's oh. crazy to me. That is crazy. Yeah, and then right ah. after that, he's going to make Swearwolves. 
Oh my Which god! Is a that's, sequel to what we do in the shadows. That's awesome! Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, I was so I excited that. to hear that he was directing Thor. Was yeah, like, I, I found out at Comic Con, Kevin Feige was like, "Oh, it's being directed by this guy from New Zealand, Taika Waititi." I'm like, Taika Waititi is directing the Thor movie? That's yeah. incredible! Hunt for the Wilder People is fantastic. If you haven't seen I've it, I've heard that. And the other recommendation I have is Captain Fantastic. Oh yeah, that's Captain the Fantastic is phenomenal. Yeah, I just saw the trailer for that before. And, Wilder and People. Tickled is great. There's yes. great indie films right now. Yeah, there's a ton tickled, right now. Tickled, have you seen Tickled? It'll blow. Oh, I've heard it. April Richardson mind. told me about it. I will tell. I will give it the ultimate recommendation. Don't read about it. Don't just watch it. Don't watch yeah. the trailer. That, that's, just see it. Oh, I actually just said it's that a, sincerely. It's a just see <laughs> it. It's a just see it movie. Wait, <laughs> was, I, Miranda Bailey was a producer. Yep. she's one of our. Producers. So Miranda Bailey has been killing it lately. Yeah, like, there's your movie. There was uh, Swiss, Army, Swiss Army, Army Man, and then she Diary, was, of, a Diary of a Teenage Girl. Yeah. So I think yeah. ultimately, the sort of the takeaway is uh, do the stuff you like. Yes. Uh, Take it seriously. Just do it. Don't judge it before you put it down on, you know, paint to canvas or pen to paper or ty- typing to Evernote or whatever it is that you whatever it is that you do. And then, you know, try to enjoy it. I mean, you really should enjoy. I think really the older you get, the more it's like, oh, it's not about all these external things that are going to make you feel better. And you're going to try to fit a puzzle piece uh, that, that shape is going to fit the puzzle piece of the hole in your soul. Yes. It's it's you really just kind of have to enjoy what you're doing and do you like it and are you proud of it? And, and take it from me, Mike Birbiglia, a person incapable of joy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the sound drop, buddy. We're going to be able to put the station ID on that. It's going to be really good. Station ID. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is Z98. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Hardwick and the Jonah <laughs> on the Gotcha Podcast. Go, 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 gotcha. Coming up next. Coming up next. Bringing in the lead. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Don't Think Twice is actually already out in New York. Yep. As of the New York, of Los Angeles at the Landmark, and uh, Chicago at the Music Box. And then we'll, we're, you know, the more people come see it, the more cities we'll be in. Oh, question. Yeah. How will you, how do you personally, how will you define whether or not this movie was a successful endeavor? Thank you, my wife, <laughs> uh, for asking that question. <laughs> that discussion happens uh, three times a day uh, to this insatiable hole of a personality that I am. Um, the... <laughs> When um, when will you stop? When will you stop? Uh, I'm gonna. I I was texting with Judd like Judd Apatow a few nights ago. I said, oh really? <laughs> Why? Why did you just say that? <laughs> you just threw your gla- your sunglasses down on the table I just, because I said my friend's name. Yeah. Trying to call back to the name drop thing, and this is why people it, well, think it wasn't why... it wasn't Albert Brooks, it was John Apatow. Wasn't it was Dimitri Martin is who it was? <laughs> okay, so he said, I go, I, I I was like he oh he said it's a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes is crazy like this is crazy it was like a really nice compliment and I wrote like how do I turn it into box office? <laughs> and he said, don't stop. Yeah, and so that's kind of my life right now. I just can't stop because I really believe in it. I love it, and I, I, I and it's. I'm going to spend the next month just traveling the country, going to Seattle and Portland and Denver and 
you know, Boston and New York and L.A. and I'm just everywhere. I think you just have to take the victories the same way that you take the losses. I think it's easier to take the losses and don't turn your victories into losses, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard, you know, for if, if something really good happens and Lydia goes, oh, it's really amazing that it happened. I'm like, yeah, but it's not real because this was already, you know, it's like you justify out of it. Yeah. Why it's not a win, and it's such a bad it's such a bad habit. And there, I don't. There's no valor in it. There's no valor in beating yourself up and ke- keeping your own uh, foot on your throat. I wrote a one of these uh, great quotes in the walls. I think you have Scott Fitzgerald. He said when I was writing my movie up on my wall, it said, uh, "Don't mistake a single defeat for the final defeat." Yeah, and I, that's I think that's part of the key. Is yeah. that, you know, you, you tend to get down when you take a loss or whatever. It doesn't maybe it doesn't do well at the box office or this or that, and it's like, no, that's maybe it'll live on. You know, it'll hit a moment in cable or it'll hit a moment in whatever. It, people find it in ten years. That, I, on this podcast, when you guys interviewed Cusack. That really blew my mind when he was like, I don't know for 10 years if a movie is going to hold up. Yeah. Or, yeah. or be, you know, he goes, I think he said to you, like, people quote back to me, like, One Crazy Summer. And, like, at the time, like, we all thought it was a disaster. Right. And that, like, really stuck with me. Yeah. And that Cusack podcast, if people haven't heard the interview, listen to that. He was great. Yeah, he oh was my really gosh. great. But it was like, we, you know, we, the, Rob Zombie, the House of a Thousand Corpses movie, we shot, that Rob shot in, two, in the year 2000, and at the time, it got shit on, it didn't do very well, but it's one of the things that people now are like, oh my God, that movie is like I a know. legendary, and Rob was like, all it took was 10 years, yeah, you know, all yeah. it took was 10 <laughs> years to go by, or even, I found out Citizen Spinal, Kane. Spinal Tap, too. Sorry, no, Citizen no. Kane's a better example. <laughs> But Spinal Tap's good too. Yeah. But Spinal Tap is watch Spinal Tap on a daily basis. Spinal Tap's kind of the Citizen Kane of comedies. Of comedies, you yes. know. But right. both in the same, you know, Citizen Kane got basically crushed by mm-hmm. Hearst, uh, <laughs> and he was right to do it. He was right to do it. Is that, uh, did, did, but, did Hearst did Hearst himself take it down? I think he did, or I think a lot of campaigns. Oh and so, and, but he was right to do it. He was right to do it. And, uh, <laughs> Chris, why would you say that? I just think he was right to do it. I'm just on the right side of things. I, no, he I was think. the Rupert Murdoch of his time. No, I, let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy. Yeah, yeah. He was just a sensible man that would have done yeah. what I mean, any like, of us would have done. Some people say yellow situation. journalism was a good move. No, oh, yeah. anyone would have done the same thing yeah, yeah. in that situation. Making hemp illegal. But, you know, what made it... Uh, what made it popular was when it started running on television like oh, wow. 20 years later or 15 years later. And same thing with Twilight Zone because I've been watching Twilight Zones at night in bed. Uh, and still strangely applicable. So many so many of us think like, oh, our, our, our problems are modern problems and they're unlike right, any. Other. Right. But you watch Twilight Zone and they're basically all morality tales and they're all. It's Black Mirror. It is Black Mirror, and they're all so applicable to yes. today with just yes. a slightly different filter. And but that's a show that didn't do very well when it was on television. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah, wow. that's why they like. Every, I was reading uh, that you know every year it was like the show would get canceled and then it would come back and it'd wow. be on the edge. And Rod Serling was kind of this angry. He was kind of known as this angry man in Hollywood. Yeah, he died. He died young of a heart attack. He had a heart attack at fifty and died. And Friday Night Lights. Fra- I mean, there's so many development. Friday Night Lights. Yeah. No, no. I'm just saying, Community. like, to, to build on the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. There's so many things. Like there's that. so many things yeah. that you just 
you don't know and it's because you can't control the, the the external variance you really all you have is the moment to kind of enjoy the thing that you're doing and i won't thanks for having me <laughs> <laughs> this has been mike Rebele, which dovetails yeah. beautifully into enjoy your burrito yeah. <laughs> quite literally i always love having you on and i really appreciated you know it meant the world to me that you uh you asked me about my special and i sent it to you before it came out and like the neck that night you was you watched you had watched yeah, it yeah. which was amazing and it was it really meant a lot to me that you because i have so much respect for what you do and so the i just it, it, felt, it felt very it felt it was one of those things where you're like oh i feel validated by someone that i really like Aww. and it, it was really nice it was really nice i appreciate it the feeling is mutual and hopefully our uh, competition that we both know <laughs> is in the air will be fruitful for both of us. Mm. I've never directed a movie. I wish I could direct a movie. I don't want to direct a movie. Why don't I going to direct a movie? I'm not a That'll major. Get you there. I'm not a major media empire. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a singular major media empire not, that gets New York Times pieces about me. I don't. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was just one. It was just the one piece. It wasn't. I don't. Uh, we like to try to take a compliment I, this, no one's going to get this reference but it sort of reminds me of uh there's a moment uh in the um in the sequel to um uh fuck my brain is blanking i've never saw the first one god damn it kick ass uh um <laughs> Oh, it's the, uh, it's the series. It's no, it's a, Crossing. It's a vampire series <laughs> with the lichens and the werewolf. The oh, Underworld. Underworld. Okay. There, there's a scene in the in this in the sequel to Underworld where he is now like this this vampire werewolf hybrid, but he hasn't really accepted it yet. So he, he's really hungry. So he goes and he eats this food, and he's like, oh, that, oh, he's really satisfied. And a second later, he's like, <laughs> I feel like that's what it feels it's like, like a cat. for people. Yeah, for people like us. To take like a you compliment. You a cat too yeah. much food because they throw it up. Yeah. But man, do they want that food. Yeah, it just comes right back <laughs> Oh, boy. Can't like stop a, them from that like food. Like a street cat. Yeah, we want the thing that makes us ill. Yeah. I don't know. Just enjoy your life. There's nothing. There's no. I told someone at Comic-Con, there's no. There's nothing wrong with just being okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It is okay to be okay. You're going to be dead in 20 years. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> nothing matters, me. and that's a-okay. <laughs> As, as Sarah Silverman says, we're all just mo- molecules, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it. We did it. Mike Babiglia, thank you for joining us on the Gotcha Podcast. Thanks we really for appreciate it. the first, first edition of the Gotcha Podcast. I think it's going to be really big. Yeah, we're so. just going to get people on and get them to say things like they resent their daughter and that they, <laughs> uh, all the people that they don't like who perform at Madison Square yeah, Garden. Like, and- uh, me, is that uh, one person's I'm name? Or is trying to see dice. if I get any spark of any of these names. Dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dice. Dice is the person I'm mad about. That poster. Oh, if I had that career. <laughs> <laughs> we all grew up wanting to be dice. And then we ended up being a bunch of nerds. We ended up talking on a podcast. <laughs> Um, hickory, dickory, dot. Yep. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I got a callback to Larry the Cable Guy as a as a trained actor, but I can't come up with a good callback for it. 
Sir. Sir Lawrence. Sir Lawrence. Uh, Sir Lawrence. The cable gentleman. The cable fellow. Oh, the cable fellow. Oh, cable fellow? Yeah. Sir, La- Sir Lawrence. Sir Lawrence the cable fellow. Uh, I wish I Sir could La- have had Sir that Lawrence. in an organic yeah, way. If you, still, if you got it now. Sir Lawrence the telly fellow. The telly fellow. <laughs> the Tenno cable. I think it's cable. Oh. Yeah. The BBC commentator. Yes, fellow. Wow. Just uh, let's just have this fade down. Yeah. As though the conversation's continuing. Like yeah. on Charlie Rose, they keep talking. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh what do you think they talk about? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I'm gonna go downstairs and I'm gonna drink that. Oh, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, who's this? You better keep that in. Charlie Rose. <laughs> <laughs> there goes your Charlie Rose potential. I just feel like Oh my god, too much. Yeah, I don't know. It's like He's, when Kevin Nealon, remember, there was some sportscaster character he would do on SNL. Brent Musburger. Yeah, that's right. He would just hold his oh my God. fingers uh, out. Brent Musburger. <laughs> like, God. Oh, my God. I totally have to go. Get out of here. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth, a haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now ad-free on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.